Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Amberly. Banerjee. Now, Amberly started her career as a postdoctoral scientist following a PhD in molecular biology. She spent many years working with academia and now works uh, within GSK, uh, a well-known organization and pharma brand. Um, and Amberly works as a director within the therapeutic group inside the regulatory affairs division. She's held a number of roles both inside and outside the organization uh, where she drives strongly towards an equal society for all in business. She has worked closely uh, with the Black and Asian and minority ethnic colleagues within the organization and is the deputy chair of the Network of Networks, delivering impact training for various organizations. Amberly also serves on the board for a not-for-profit and works with a local charity at the Slough Council for Voluntary Services. Wow, so a lot there, Amberley. Tell me a little bit about, to kickstart things, more about your background and actually how you came to be where you are today. Thank you for this opportunity, Leila. So dialing back right to the beginning. So I was born as an only child to parents in uh, Kerala in India. And I moved to the UK when I was 13. And the mantra I heard from my very feminist role model father was, you as a girl will have more barriers compared to boys, but you can achieve anything a boy can, can achieve. You know, never tell yourself that you're not good enough. So I had this growing up. So I aimed for the stars. You know, I believed I could achieve anything. And I um, did a PhD in molecular biology. And as you, as you mentioned, ended up in academia. But looking up at academia, I could see that the professors were all predominantly male. And I really felt, especially when I had started a family um, and felt that I needed to kind of have a work-life balance, I felt this is, may not be the environment where I can achieve success. You know, it doesn't seem to have flexible working opportunities, etc. So my number one reason actually for moving into the pharmaceutical sector, particularly at GSK, was because I could see women at the top of the organization. And I thought, wow, uh, you know, if I move to an organization where there is equality, then I, I have greater chances of success. So I moved to GSK uh, within regulatory affairs 13 years ago and actually had a, a spectacular rise, partly because I was very lucky to have a sponsor very early on in my career who helped me navigate that part. So I moved from an entry-level position uh, in at GSK to a director position within about six years. And I uh, thought at that point in time, the world's my oyster. And as uh, I started looking for my next position a few years later, I realized actually I've, I've hitting some barriers here you know not entirely sure what I should do differently so I started moving laterally and started gaining experience in other parts of the business I started doing secondments even went externally on a secondment outside of GSK and and still couldn't quite secure the next role at a senior level 
And that's the point at which I thought, what's what's going on here? Is it just me or is there something about the environment? And I came to the employee resource groups that GSK had and sharing my experiences with various others, I realized that actually organizationally, there's some work to do in the in the corporate sector. In many organizations, when you hit a certain level of management, beyond that seems to be much harder for ethnic minorities to navigate. So over the last couple of years, I've been leading the employee resource group at GSK uh, called Embrace that focuses on race and ethnicity uh, issues. And I'm also sitting on an external panel, the, the TNON um, membership that you mentioned, which is working with 120 organizations, uh, network leads to share best practices and identify what organizations are doing across the UK to really prioritize equity for ethnic minorities. So that's that's been my journey so far. And, and within my company, we've made huge strides uh, of progress over the last couple of years, uh, particularly since George Floyd's murder. I think we've really seen uh, an absolute awakening, cultural awakening, right? Organizations have gone, okay, we were doing something on gender, but there hasn't been enough focus on race. And we've really seen that acceleration of what can be done in a company. So I'll stop there. Well, Amberly, first and foremost, thank you ever so much for sharing. And Curla, what a beautiful part of the world. My brother's wife is from Curla, actually, and he lives here now in, in the UK. And um, whilst I haven't been, I cannot wait to go because, wow, the culture there, what I hear. Um, and in particular, you know, how interesting to see that cultural dynamic and how that translates across the pond here uh, to the UK. But I, I, I must just kickstart us off by saying, tell me about your, your original name, because I know before the podcast, I said, Amberly. What a lovely name. And you said, actually, Layla, that name is um, one that's easier uh, to pronounce. And it made me actually think, um, to start off with, um, what is your full name? And, and, and tell us why and where that came from. Because we're talking on this podcast very much about the intersect between ethnicity, also between gender, also uh, with culture and what our organisations can do. Should this not, to an extent, start off with how we correctly pronounce and how we shouldn't necessarily need to simplify our being um, for Western, say, culture. Absolutely. So I was born Ambly, or I should pronounce it properly, the way it was intended is Ambly Pascarin. So my, uh, my family name is Pascarin. Uh, in, in the South, it's a very common surname. And actually, I was named Umbly, which means the moon, because my surname means the sun. So my, my dad had this very symbolic meaning of, uh, you know, these celestial bodies. Um, but people found it incredibly difficult to pronounce Pascarin. So it was uh, very rarely used. And actually, when I got married and my name moved to Banerjee, it was slightly easier for, for people to pronounce it. But my first name has always been tricky for individuals. So when I, uh, even in India, I should say that um, in Kerala, uh, people are used to this name. It's a very common name. But Umbali is a hard name for even North Indians to kind of roll their tongue for. So when I moved to the UK, particularly, it was such an unusual name 
that uh, I didn't want it completely mispronounced, almost pronounced with a U emphasis. So I simplified it to the phonetic uh, pronunciation. You know, I thought at least I'll know consistently that people are calling my name. So I've simplified it to Amberly. Um, however, I find that even though the pronunciation has been taken care of, we still have these name related issues, right? So I frequently find that my name is spelt incorrectly on, on emails, even though the two column will have the right name, otherwise it wouldn't get to me. But people sometimes are a little bit careless when it comes to unusual names. And this is something that, uh, you know, I hear time and again from people saying that we have to kind of mold ourselves and make it easier for people to pronounce our name, to spell our name. And I know individuals have gone to abbreviating their, their names for ease, I've erred away from it because I feel like my parents call me this name for a very significant reason. And that's really important to me. So I've stuck with expecting people to spell out the full name. It's a fascinating concept, but it also makes me slightly sad that we are changing things. As you say, your your dad, who who uh, you know clearly um, you know named you this, you know was you know celestial as you had said, gave this reason, this rhyme and reason to call you Umberly Pascarin. I actually really like that. But I love that we brought that up and it makes me, you know, often consider actually how much of ourselves we hide away from the surface level. My middle name that I often, in fact, I don't think I've ever said this in a podcast, is Wyming, um, which I believe means it's either sun and moon or sun and moon and stars or something like that um, in Chinese, um, but rarely use it. And actually, you know, when, when you started introducing yourself, you know, we, we kind of already see this, um, you know, it's, a, it's I think it's an interesting and a beautiful name. There is the background, there is a the heritage, um, there is where you came from, um, you know, and then also who you are in the workplace. And I can see why, you know, the professional and personal path has led you to start spearheading other initiatives, both internal um, and also external uh, to the organization. And it's also brilliant as well to see that the corporations and, and large organizations are really taking now very seriously the fact that employee resource groups um, or ERGs, sometimes still called staff networks or BRGs, just for anyone who's listening in wondering, or business resource groups, actually are such a fantastic way to be able to drive true engagement and to allow this safe place uh, for freedom of thought, uh, freedom of speech, and ultimately bringing us together. Now, you said, Amberly, that um, the organization and the work that you've done has taken on great leaps and bounds, um, and you've been within the organization for, for quite some years. How have you seen the evolution start to grow, both in terms of the gender perspective, the ethnicity perspective, and also um, other facets of diversity and ultimately intersectionality. Yeah, so I, I think when when a few years ago, intersectionality was a term that just wasn't thought of, right? So uh, GSK as a company has really prioritized four dimensions of um, diversity. So gender, LGBTQ, race, and disability. But the first two were a lot more prominent within the company. So gender, we had gender targets in place. GSK were really applauded as one of the Times top 50 employers in gender. There was a lot more focus on uh, even the employee resource groups 
with, with gender. But what has happened uh, more recently is a, a realization that we've been far too siloed. So previously, you know, when we talked about gender, it was initiatives that were helping women, but a certain subsection of women without actually considering the whole gamut of women. So we weren't, you know, our, we have um, what are called councils for each of the diversity dimensions. So we have a gender council, an ethnicity council, um, etc. And when I first looked at our gender council, we had 50% men, 50% women, but there was no women of color in that group. There were no men of color in that group, right? Uh, the, our ethnicity council, when it was first set up, was equally lacking in diversity, right? So it, there was a real lack of focus on, even when it came to ethnicity, there was a real lack of focus in the leadership teams um, that were looking at it. You know, there, there are very few people with the lived experiences driving these strategies, driving these initiatives. There wasn't the sort of passion because you've lived through this and you kind of feel that passion of, you know, this should not carry on, right? Um, and so I think GSK has done a lot of work in the last year or so, in, and so have most organizations in understanding that you cannot look at gender in isolation. You cannot look at race in isolation. A lot of these factors are overplayed. And, and now that we're focusing on race, we can't afford to leave other factors behind. You know, you cannot afford to leave disability behind or or even factors that companies may not be prioritizing, you know, whether it's age or social status, we need to actually have a, an awareness that an individual doesn't sit neatly in one box. There are many aspects to that individual's personality, and we need to do a, a much more tailored approach uh, to support individuals. I love that we're talking about intersectionality already. Um, Pre-warning, I could talk about this all day, Amberly, so I'm excited to dive deep. Um, what we do at Dial is we focus very much on these 10 aspects of diversity, inclusion, belonging and equity. Um, and that would include everything, to your point, from um, race and ethnicity, parenthood, caring responsibilities, mental health and wellness, disability, race and ethnicity. You know, all of these, and all, you know, culture and heritage um because you're absolutely right you know we do not fit neatly into these one boxes you and i looking at each other right now through a computer screen actually you know we can see visibly that we are both female we can see visibly that we are both women of color layered on top of that the other invisible disabilities you start to see the bigger picture the more holistic picture whereby actually um this is about appreciating people to your point of those differences what is is it that makes us up on the surface what is it that makes us up below the surface one not to presume two to seek out and find those answers and three to look at how we can tailor and measure that approach because ultimately you know if we are going to truly achieve equity and people say oh yes it's all about equality well how can we how can we get equality when we aren't recognizing that people start from very different places in life this is simply about leveling the playing field um so when you say there we are benefiting one particular type um you know whether it be you know for example white women that mm -hmm. in and to itself is not pure inclusion inclusion is everyone 
absolutely absolutely and uh, you know this is where i think a lot of these inclusive inclusive dialogues in inclusive initiatives it's the employee resource groups that have really led these activities within companies and for us we made this realization about a year ago really getting connected with the other employee resource groups and realizing we have a common enemy we have a common uh, thing we can all be tackling together uh, and that is bias right if we take away people making judgments on somebody because of something they can see or something they know about this individual and and putting them into a box so that you know everybody who looks like them is like this you know if you if you tackle that underlying cause of bias to your point we can then start tackling what what's causing the discrimination in the workplace and then really the the kind of recent focus really has been on how can we tackle discrimination actively what is the solution we know the bias exists we know that everybody is biased against some factor how do we actually tackle this and the tackling part is all about allyship we all have a voice in some context we all have the capability to be an ally in some context and how do we dial that up not just for a cause we care about but for everyone else who doesn't seem to be in in the same category as us right mm. No, it, 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 it's very, very interesting. And I completely agree that every single person has the capability to make a difference. And also diversity relates to everyone. Um, you know, it isn't just those one or two things. And allyship is one of the biggest factors in actually physically moving that dial. Because um, to be very candid about it, it is namely um, white males in the CEO and C-suite positions. Um, and so getting that finite balance between one, you know, making sure those individuals are bought in and understand the rationale and that also diversity is related to them, whilst also lifting up others so that we can truly level that playing field. And, you know, I do sometimes worry somewhat about the schools of thought that say, diversity is not men or diversity is not you know someone who is white because I think for us to actually truly change the dynamic not only in hearts and minds but also in the processes um, that need to then be embedded to exclude um, or to almost vilify certain um, leaders it is not going to get us there any quicker when to your point you know the common enemy enemy is exclusion it's that exclusionary behavior um you know people from all different walks of life and all different um areas of intersectionality can be excluded which i guess you know drives me to the, the, this next point that i would love to hear your take on is actually um you know the future of diversity what does this look like you, know, you take india um you know as, as as one example and i need to learn and i'm really embracing learning more about Indian culture and the diversities within diversities and the caste systems, you know, and so in each of those segments, there is a whole richness to each of those facets in and to themselves. Does this mean the future is diversities within diversities, ecosystems within, within ecosystems? You know, I mean, the list can go on, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, ethnic diversity is highly complex, right? I mean, it, because it looks so different, you know, with, with gender, I think the, the challenge was easier that we could say 50%, 50% male, female split. 
that you could kind of put some universal strategies in place. Race is not that simple. And there has to be a tailored approach per country looking at the dynamics within that country. So I do a lot of my work within the UK. So it's it's one set of problems. But in in a country like the, the like India, where it's it's not a minority issue that we're talking about, but really we need to do segmentation to understand where is the crunch happening, what is it that's not working, so that our companies inside can reflect what our community outside looks like, right? And I think the underlying principle is the same. For me, it's, it has to be data-driven decision-making, right? It has to be looking at your local demographics and trying to understand where is it that it's falling apart? You know, is it that we're not attracting a certain subset of people because we're not going to where the, the talent exists? Is it because we are not enabling these people to thrive in our companies when they do eventually come in? that they feel compelled to leave because they don't feel there's any opportunity for them within the company? Or is it because they are, um, you know, simply getting demotivated and, and stagnant in their careers and almost giving up on their careers, right? Which doesn't create a great inclusive uh, environment. You know, cult your culture of your company is going to suffer if there are demotivated workforce, right? So for, for me, the future is really organizations being a bit more thoughtful about this. I think in the past, we've always put it in the too hard to deal with bucket and organizations haven't addressed it. I think we need to shift to a world where we do collect data where it's allowed, where it's not illegal to collect certain data and actually ask ourselves the difficult questions of where is it that the processes are falling down? Where is it that our, uh, our systems are not working? And part of driving that change has to start with accountability right at the top. It has to start with leaders at the top of the organizations holding themselves accountable for making sure that inclusion and diversity is not some HR initiative that sits with your HR business partner. It is something that has to live and breathe by your senior leaders. Because at the end of the day, your workforce, your people in your organization are your most important asset, right? If they don't feel like they belong in your company, if they don't feel like they have any, any chance of going and reaching uh, their full potential, why are they going to give you 110%, right? They're always going to be looking for that organization that will give them that 110%. So it's in your interest from, your, from a purely business perspective, it's in the company's interest to be prioritizing the right things and making sure that organizations are, are best prepared for the future. At risk of sounding like I, um, you know, it, it's the converted preaching to the converted here. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Um, and um, it would be great to tackle some of the challenges and now actions because, and even sometimes I feel it. Just being being candid, when you know, doing podcasts with, as I would say, inspirational individuals, leaders that truly, truly care. Um, but it can be emotionally taxing sometimes, and there is also. Um, that point of how far can we get whilst preaching to the converted you know from the sounds of things we think and believe very same uh, very similar ultimate endpoints and goals yet how we reach those points are very different I will pick up on uh, one of the things that you have said about this being a business interest and ultimately you know that is the key critical point if hearts and minds 
are not yet won is the fact that ultimately this is a business imperative. Um, we have crossed the Rubicon. There is no going back. This is coming, whether it be CSR merging with supply chain diversity initiatives that meet with DNI initiatives, whether it be the fact that laws and legislation is changing, um, whether it be uh, the fact that actually, um, to your point, our future generations of leaders won't stand for inequality anymore, because this digital continuum we find ourselves in, where actually you can take to Twitter, you can take to LinkedIn, you can take to professional platforms and pretty much say what you want. We live in a world which is to an extent, especially in the Western world, there is freedom of speech and that is to an extent encouraged. Therefore, why would organisations um, not address this before it is then too late? When we talk about leaders at the top and the fact that they are the ones who are driving change, they that and that is a fact that is proven. Um, you know, if it doesn't start at the top, the diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity initiatives are no way near as successful, um, much as it is wonderful also to look at the grassroots and the ground up initiatives. The most efficient way is ultimately to start at the top. And so looking at how we can send almost this waterfall effect happening, this kind of this snowball effect of good starting at the top, being visible and accountable, um, as you say, and how this can kind of seep through the branches, the trees, the, the, the roots and, and the branches are in effect our future generations of leaders who frankly don't want to work for organisations that have leaders that don't care. And, um, you know, we've seen over the last couple of months, you know, certain well-known individuals fall from grace in very senior positions, having done or said the wrong thing, and it's come out on social media. So, so arguably, would it not be better to put one's head above the parapet, say something and do something now, as opposed to allowing it potentially then to come, come back and bite you at a later date? Absolutely. I mean, the, there is a, a strong feeling that that has grown in the last year or so that actually staying quiet and and not getting involved in this tricky subject because I don't want to inadvertently get it wrong is no longer acceptable, not acceptable to your workforce, not acceptable to the public who you're selling your products to. So there is absolutely an expectation that people need to be strong enough to speak up. And that does feel uncomfortable, especially when it comes to race, especially when it comes to topics that they don't know much about, right? There is this fear that inadvertently I'm going to put my foot in it and say the wrong thing and then I could be called a racist. And there is that fear playing on people's minds and I think there's two things right from my perspective people that there is yes a justified fear but if you are fearful you're never going to change this this landscape that where you have the power to change it you need to you have the responsibility to actually make yourself a little bit uncomfortable and put yourself out there but before you do that educate yourself on what's going on you know have some informal conversations in a safe space with employee resource groups or resources out there, or even Google and educate yourself on some things that you need to be aware of so you, you know what you're talking about. Uh, on the other side, I would also say to, to people in my community, we need to uh, not pounce on people who have the best intentions and who accidentally, if their intent 
is positive and they're taking action, not just a positive intent and sitting back and doing nothing. But if people have the right intent and they are taking action, we need to be a little forgiving. Sometimes people are scared to get involved in the race agenda because they're worried that they are going to get pushed down from both sides. You know, and mm -hmm. I, I think we need to cultivate an environment where allies feel strong and and empowered to to be that voice um, by by supporting this agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And as you said, the tide isn't changing. You know, the, the future generations that are coming through expect mm -hmm. societal justice to be at the forefront of companies. Right. So we mm -hmm. do need to tackle it. Mm -hmm. I really love the fact that you've picked up on what is actually interestingly quite a controversial point truthfully I am completely with you but I know there would be a number of people who would not agree with me and or us on the not pouncing on people with good intentions I to build on that somewhat and I give you an example here we did our summit last week um, and we had over 50 percent of our speakers happen to be female with the vast majority um, of those who are female being also ethnic minority individuals and leaders so my point is it, it was a mixture of many different facets of diversity and um, we had a panel which was males white males and we had a number of people who jumped on immediately saying um you know this is a manal this is unacceptable this is this is this is and you know it really deeply upset me actually because i thought to myself first and foremost this is exactly um what we are trying to do collectively and that is move the dial um, to actually have a number of very senior chief executives who are white, who are male, um, who are of a certain age category. It is not their fault, but what would be their fault would be as if they didn't do something about it. And so you end up then with, um, you know, again, to your point, is this concern and fear over vilification. Don't shoot them down when they're trying to make a change and it comes from a good place because that drives further fear, insecurity, concern over speaking about such subjects. And that really, whilst controversial, I know people listening in, um, you know, who may well think, you know what, you should have had diversity on that panel. But the point we always try and make is diversity, it simply means difference. And everyone comes from a different place. Can we say that all white men are the same? Can we say that all um, Chinese or Indian females are the same? Absolutely mm -hmm. not. And if we're seeking for positive change in humanity, for us to be able to get along, be more productive, drive more innovation, why would we cut people down at the knees when we want for good? And, you know, if I was to go even harsher than that, I would say pure stupidity on the fact that we are going to alienate a category of people that can drive the very most by way of allyship but again not everyone would agree with me but I love your thoughts and I really I just it makes me happy that you brought that up because it's something that I don't think gets talked about anywhere near enough absolutely Leila it's not a positive it's not a, a particularly popular opinion right uh, I think rightly so the community want people to be taking positive action and it 
you know, racism has existed for hundreds of years and people are fed up. I, I totally get that. But I, I agree, you know, currently today's state of affairs is most organizations have a, a almost exclusively white leadership team. These are the people with the power that need to change what the, the status quo is. And in order for them to change, they have got there almost through a, a, a lack of awareness that they were somehow disadvantaging somebody. You know, they followed uh, what they were taught. <laughs> they followed to make connections. They followed the advice they were given, etc. It's not necessarily because they have trampled over ethnic minorities to get there. They just had certain advantages that ethnic minorities didn't have of sponsorship or connections or the right mentorship at the right time, whatever it was, right? So now that we have, certainly in the conversations I've had with a lot of allies, as soon as they realize the, the inequities and they realize the lived experiences that they had never come across before, they have suddenly kind of owned that ownership that, you know, we have a certain level of privilege, even if they've had a hard, tough time getting to the top, you know, they have had certain privileges just because of the, their, their color or their background or whatever it is. And there is a real um, focus on, on and, and responsibility on those individuals who are now driving the change really passionately alongside us. And we need more of them. So actually, if we, you know, if, and they will get things wrong because they haven't got the same lived experience. They are new to this game, just like any of us. You know, when we start somewhere new, we have a long learning curve ahead of us. If you then pull down these allies who are just starting on the journey, what's the impact on the other allies who are looking up to this person? You know, they're going to be even more scared to join this conversation. So absolutely, there's an emphasis on our community to welcome allies along who want to do good, who want to take action, not just um, for a tick box exercise, but genuinely want to change this agenda and want to help accelerate the, the pace of change in organizations. I am all for, for that, even if they occasionally stumble. Mm. Provided they're willing to learn, I'm willing to teach them the ropes. Well, I am in so much agreement with that, in so much agreement. And in the same way that you and I would, I'm sure, positively argue that visible representation is incredibly important. I mean, I would have loved to see, and I was adopted by amazing white British parents. My parents, to me, are role models. Um, but it would have also been nice to see real models. I can, you know, I see few East Asian faces with a similar background, and it would have made a difference. And it's heartbreaking to hear younger generations say if I can't see it then I can't be it um therefore the visible representation re visible representation is important um but flipping the coin to the other side with your mention of allies inspiring other allies the same is true therefore having a positive say let's say in this example a white male ally then speaking to another white male ally from a certain, you know, category, probably not the right word, but category in inverted commas of person, 
that is where the real movement starts to starts to actually drive. You know, we had, you know, I've interviewed a, a number of chief executives, male chief executives, white chief executives, who then have gone off, really understood, and then spoken to their peers, other white chief executives, lo and behold, who then start to drive this change. And so, um, you know, it does so much take all of us. And um and I'm so pleased that, that we have got onto this subject. I think it is one that is so powerful. It takes every one of us. We may look diverse on the outside, but hey, do you know what? We've got to keep positively spreading this message because, you know, we are only doing ourselves a disservice by, um, you know, it's like, you know, what, 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 what were the kind of age old adages of, um, you know, you don't, you know, you don't eradicate hate and discrimination by adding on top of that even more of that. It doesn't produce a solution. But, uh, oh, Emily, I could talk to you for every day about all of this stuff. This is just brilliant. I've got to go into a quick lightning round. So I have a quick glance at the clock then. So, oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> Ambly, let's let's rock into the lightning round and um, my fault, um, but I will give you 30 seconds to answer each question. And I will say as little as I can in between each, because the point is to hear your voice on this podcast. Now, um, starting off with the most difficult conversation, uh, difficult question first. What would you say is your secret to success? Oh, well, um, constantly learning actually I, I i am always curious and i think i don't think you stop learning until the day you die so constantly keeping an eye on what is it that i can improve about myself is probably the secret to the success mm -hmm. it's a it's a great answer i remember i said recently to my to my counselor or she'd said to me actually um you know we are all children really until the day that we die very philosophical but actually um you know we don't ever stop learning we must be always open to to new ideas and to education and inspiration um and what about some of the the, the biggest influences in your life who have been your inspirations whether they be sheroes whether they be heroes whether they be people without agenda i'm not sure tell me so I, uh, growing up, was inspired by people like Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi, you know, people who brought about societal change. Um, those are the, the, the true heroes in, in my life. You know, it, I've never equated it to success from a money perspective. It's always been who has done the most for people to improve the lives of millions. Um, I, I would say in, in the business world, I have been totally inspired by a, a fantastic uh, senior leader who has just been uh, you know, very down to earth, has always, even despite their seniority, they've always kept their year to the ground and, and included people in their conversations. So um, a, a lady called Dr. Pim Khan, who uh, was a very early influence at GSK, who I've I've always admired. Wow. Well, uh, she she must be spectacular, this Dr. Pim Khan, for you to say this. And um, it's very, um, very inspiring to hear that it's someone from within your organisation. And, you know, it just goes to show that actually um, having other leaders who can not only lift 
others up, but also mentor, guide, and you know, ultimately sponsor um, others within that business. It's that um, you know that shared learning, like that um, melting pot of um, growing talent. Excellent. Um, and finally, if you could go back in time, and maybe this is back in in Curla, I, I'm not sure, but if you could go back in time, you could talk to the much uh, younger uh, version of yourself, the young Amberly, or someone who's in a similar situation, considering where to uh, where to go and what adventure to embark on next, what would you say uh, to that young you? I think um, my, I've, like most women, I've lacked confidence in my own abilities, particularly when I was younger. You know, I, I um, didn't believe that I would even get a PhD before I embarked on it. And through my career at every stage, I've thought, I'm not sure if I can do this job and, you know, had that imposter syndrome. So I would always tell my younger self, believe in yourself. You know, you are good enough and kind of really have that almost as a visualization uh, tool to kind of put somewhere, something somewhere that I reinforce time and again it's taken me a long time to get to that point of accepting that I'm good enough so I would have accelerated that at a much younger age wow well thank you so very much Amberly. you have been superb and um true to form I always do a brief summary but I'm kind of like where do I start here um I think some of the things that have really resonated with me and um, you know, I'm sure with, with many are, you know, this real true sense of what equity versus equality means. Um, actually, the recognition of the fact that every single one of us are different. Every single one of us has a story to tell, a voice to be heard, something different to bring to the party. Um, but I particularly like some of the actionable points from yourself, Amberly, where we were talking about this, you know, this empowerment to make own decisions and the fact that we must utilize data to drive decision making, along with a number of other areas, um, driving awareness. Just simply saying that we want to change is just not enough. Um, but hearing some of the growth, not only within your own organization at GSK, through the benefit of employee resource groups, and now even more so bringing these together uh, so that we have less of the silo effect, um, I think is where uh, the future for general employee resource groups, business resource groups, uh, shall start to go. And finally, um, that conversation around allyship and the fact that ultimately none of us is as smart as all of us and um, making sure that we get to the place that we all wish to be, um, that of equality by championing and lifting up and advising, educating, informing one another to get collectively better really did hugely resonate because, you know, it is by being positive, it is by, um, holding each other accountable and um you know holding hands with our, our brothers sisters other human beings that we will manage to to make a, a true sustainable change for our future generations of leaders so uh, Ambly, thank you you're welcome it's been a pleasure thank you my name is Leila McKenzie-Dellis and you've been listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast show brought to you by Dial Global uh, you've been listening to the excellent Amberly Banjari of GSK uh, heading up 
brilliant employee resource group. Do make sure that you check us out on your favorite podcast app, uh, whether it be Apple or Spotify. You can join us directly in the Dial Global app. It's in the App Store, Dial Global Network, um, or Vistas. Um, and you can see all the show notes as well from today's show at www.dialglobal.org. Take care and see you again next week.